Good morning. It was a little over 25, 26 some years ago that I was pastoring in San Francisco and Wilson Pong, young student, uh, was at the church. Little did I know then, I try to look into the future. I try to imagine, you know, how profound these moments are, even this moment. But I had no idea when uh, Wilson and I hung out together uh, those many years ago that uh, he would go on to marry Esther, complete his uh, psych degrees, uh, have three children, Rebecca, 20, Ashley, 18, and Jared, 16 now. Uh, they weren't born at those ages, but that's where they are now. Uh, and, and see how God has done great things in his life. And it is uh, really a, a privilege to be here and to have Wilson here and to hear from him and what the Lord has put on his heart this morning. Wilson is uh, with Engineering Ministries International. They are invested in seven different countries. They reach out to the poorest of the poor. And they bring skilled people called of the Lord to minister in the love and the name of Jesus Christ with the gospel and with their gifts and skills to erect churches, hospitals, orphanages, schools. When there are crises, you remember the earthquake in Haiti. I mean, they're multiplied around the globe. EMI is there. Wilson is the pastor in the midst of that. He's going to tell you more about that. Wilson, would you come? Let's welcome Wilson. Earlier this morning, I saw John. And as we looked at each other, I thought, wow. It's been over a quarter century. Time does fly. Well, Selamat Pagi. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. I'd like to say that uh, today's message is going to start off with the gospel. But before we start that way, I'd like to do a little bit of bragging. I married a classical pianist who introduced me to classics and jazz and Earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> My daughter is first chair at uh, Colorado State University, and then I come here and says, this, this wasn't here the last time I was here. It, was, it is so good to worship with you. I work with Engineering Ministries International, and our headquarters is in Colorado. And while normally I'll come to you and I'll say it's 3% humidity there, the last two weeks has been very different. And I thank you for praying for us as flood has overcome our state. First the fires, now the floods. EMI, we have engineers, architects, surveyors, draftsmen, or they call themselves CAD operators, construction people, 
and we go to different parts of the world and we build churches, schools, orphanages, hospitals, bridges. We respond to catastrophes. We now started a new initiative of what we call WASH, water and sanitization hygiene. It's going to places where floods have caused cholera, Ebola to break out. That's our ministry. But key to that ministry is the gospel. Esther and I had the privilege of going to one of the trips. My job is to take care of our staff. We have about 120 staff around the world and take care of the volunteers and the interns. But in order to understand their world, my superior said, why don't you go on a couple of trips, these project trips that they go? They go out for about 10 days or so. Go with them. So Esther and I went to Albania. And after a while, I could only sit there so long and watch these engineers and architects work before I, I got restless. So I put on my work boots, my old jeans. I went out there. There was this group of Albanians who were excavating the side of the mountain, uh, hill. Not exactly mountain, just a hill. And I grabbed a shovel and I started excavating with them. It wasn't long before they said tea time. And we took a break and we got these little Turkish coffee and the bottom half is just coffee grounds. The top half is just brown water with a lot of sugar. <laughs> and you sit there and you sip at that and you enjoy the company. Some of them spoke English. And it wasn't long before they said to me, Wilson, do you have a daughter or two or friends who we could marry so that we can get out of this country? <laughs> now, John did mention, I have two beautiful women as my daughters, but they can't have them. <laughs> what I did instead, I asked them, what is it about Albania that you, you want to leave? And they told me about all the situations that was there, the corruption, the difficulty in making life happen for them. And I said to them, after you've done everything you can with your hands, at what point will you look up to the heavens? and ask for God's help. We are all about the gospel, the good news. But today, I'd like to ask you a question. The question goes as this, what is your big rock? Now, I get this illustration from another place. There was a professor, he was teaching management and time and business, and he had these top students in the time management class. And he pulled out a big masonry jar and he put a big rock in it. And he looked at his class and he says, what do you think, class? Is the jar full? And they said, no. So he pulled out a bag of crushed rock, gravel, poured it into that jar, shook it into the crevices and said, now what do you think? They said, no, it's not full. He poured sand into it, shook that in and he says, is it full? And they said, no. He says, wow, you guys are a smart bunch. Poured water into it, filled it up to the brim, and then he asked them, is the jar full? And they said, yes, it's full now. So he said to them, now mind you, this is a time management class. He said, what is the lesson in this class? And they said, when you think you can't fit anything more in your schedule, you can always squeeze in a little bit more. And he said, no, that's not the lesson. 
This is the lesson. Unless you put that rock in first, it will not fit. If you put the gravel, if you put the sand, if you put the water in there first, there will be no room for that rock. Put what is most important in there first, and everything else works around it. So my question to you today, as children of God, as followers of Christ, what is the most important thing in your life? What are you all about? What is central to you? When I quit psychiatry and I went into the ministry, this was about 14, 15 years ago, I joined Campus Crusade, now better known as Crew. They have a table outside. And if you know anything about Crew, founded by Bill Bright, he wrote The Four Spiritual Laws. It's all about the gospel, the Great Commission. And you may say, that sounds pretty good. That's what I'm all about. That's central to me. My life, my existence is about the good news. And I would tell you, that's a good big rock. That is a good big rock. Let's take that apart a little bit. What is the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have taught you. And behold, I will be with you. There are songs written about it. There are people who read it, sing about it, and sometimes the emphasis is put on that first word, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Folks, the word go is a participle. How many of you remember your English 101? So here's your cheat sheet. A participle is anything that ends with the letters I-N-G. So let me read it to you this way. Make disciples of all nations by going to them, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, by teaching them everything that I've taught you, and I will be with you. So what is the Great Commission? Making disciples. It's about the Great Commission. If that is your big rock, it's a good big rock, but I'd like you to consider something. Now, I'm cross-cultural, in case you haven't noticed. I didn't grow up in this country. When I'm here in the U.S., I try to pull my American accent as much as possible. Some of you who, are, who have an acute sense, you can actually hear an accent, a foreign accent in my, in my voice. But when I'm on the phone or on Skype and my children walk by, they'll hear me speak a different accent and they'll say, oh, Dad, are you, are you calling someone from overseas? Because I speak different. The English is different. If we take that same Great Commission message that we speak in this language overseas, does that work? You see, sociologists have decided and found that the world is made up of three worldviews. The American worldview, although it's changing, some of you younger folks might actually attest to this, that it's not as much this way anymore, but for now, the American worldview is one of 
justice and guilt, or some people call it innocence and guilt. So you have sayings like, just do the right thing. And if you're wrong, say you're sorry, make recompense, move on. That's how we think. So with that, we take the gospel that talks about the redemption of sin. All men have fallen short of the glory of God, have sinned. Jesus died for that, to redeem you. And you take that message and you go overseas and you speak to them. And it flows right off their shoulders. And they say, so we've sinned. Everyone lies. Everyone steals. Everyone speeds and breaks the law. What's the big deal? It doesn't speak to their immediate needs. Sociologist says there are also two other worldviews. The worldview of honor and shame. The worldview of power and fear. Is that in Scripture? We do see that in Scripture. Very early in Scripture, when Adam and Eve sinned, so there's your sin, there's your guilt. When they sinned and they took from the tree the forbidden fruit, what happened next? Their eyes opened up and they felt shame. And so they covered themselves. Shame is there. And then what happened? And God stepped into the garden and fear set upon their hearts and they hid. The U.S. is a justice-guilt society, but most of the world is a combination, depending how much moral, a little 60-40, 80-20, of the other two. It's more a power, fear, honor, shame society. When we bring the gospel to them, if we just bring the gospel of guilt and redemption from guilt, it doesn't speak to them. But if you bring a fuller message that says Christ came to redeem you, not just from your sin, but from your shame, not just to redeem you from your shame, but from fear. Now you're speaking to them. When I was in Korea, that is a, a very big honor-shame society. Esther and I went to Korea right after they sent 23 missionaries to Afghanistan. They were captured by the Taliban. You remember this? Two of them were, ma uh, were martyred. They beheaded them. The remaining 21 were ransomed and brought back. We went to Seoul to minister to the 21. And what was incredible to see is this. The amount of shame, the amount of dishonor, that has befallen on that big mega church. But what was also incredible to see is the junior pastor 
who planned this trip and the, his fellow pastor who was martyred, who went on that trip, he struggled the most. Yet he could not stand before the congregation and say, I'm sorry. I guess I didn't plan well enough. Because for him to do that is not just to bring shame on himself. It brings shame on his senior pastor. It brings shame on the church. It brings shame on his family. It brings shame on Christ. So what had to happen? The senior pastor had to stand before him and say, I bow before you and tell you, we're sorry. Two of our members have lost their lives. 21 went through a terrible time. It's an honor-shame way of looking at things. But if we bring the gospel to them and we say, for Christ came to you and did three things to you, I'd like to con you to consider the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. When the father saw the son return after he had embezzled, not embezzled, um, squandered all his money, his inheritance, what did the father do? He ran to the son. By the way, some of you may have heard this. Noblemen do not run. For him to pull up his royal robes, hike it up, and run down the street to his son was quite a doing. Ran to his son. First thing he did, took off his royal robe, put it over his son, covered that dirty stench that he was wearing. That's what Christ does for us. He puts over on us a covering of his righteousness. That's the sin. What is the second thing the father did? He took off the family's signet ring, put it on his son's finger. You have no shame anymore. You are my son. My honor is your honor. There is no shame on you anymore. Anyone who sees you sees that ring and says, oh, that's an honorable man. And what's the third thing he did? He told his servants, put sandals on his feet. Kill the fatted cow. We're going to have a feast. You have no fear anymore of needs, of hunger, of where you're going to get the next meal. Three messages. One gospel. Take that gospel, go overseas, and all of a sudden, you say, there is no need for fear. There is no need for shame. That is the gospel. If you say to me today, Wilson, that's my big rock. I say, that's a good big rock. However, the question is, why do you want to fulfill the Great Commission? What prompts you to fulfill the Great Commission? Men, after church, your wives go home. Your girlfriends go home. And they're making lunch first, 
and you think, oh, I'll come home a little bit later. I'm going to chit-chat with some of the people. I'm going to have some hamburgers and hot dogs here first. And when you get home, your wife is drying off her hands on her apron as she's done washing the salad. As you ring the doorbell, she looks out, she sees you, and she says, did, did he forget his key? So she comes to the door, she opens the door for you, and what you had done is you had stopped by the store and you bought her favorite flowers, beautiful bouquet of flowers, and you pull it out from behind you and you say to her, wife, as your husband, I dutifully give these to you. What do you think, wives? Sound good? Is dutifully even a word? But rather, if he had said, on my way home, I was thinking about you. I know you like lilacs, so I got these for you. That sounds a lot better, huh? If we fulfill the Great Commission out of duty, out of obligation, or even perhaps out of fear, if I don't do this, he might throw lightning bolts on me. Then where's the heart? Perhaps you say, okay, how about this for a big rock? My big rock is to glorify God. Isn't that what the Westminster Confession of Faith says? The chief end of man, the sole purpose for our existence is to glorify God and enjoy Him. Wilson, how about that for a big rock? That's a good big rock. I'd like to tell you a story. There was a man named Mordecai who saved King Artaxerxes' life. So King Artaxerxes said to his right-hand man, Haman, Haman, I want you to, note the word, glorify Mordecai. Have a big parade for him. Put him up on the parade. Walk around town. Tell everyone, hear ye, hear ye. This man, Mordecai, he is one cool dude. Lift him up. Magnify him. You see, there was one thing, though. Haman hated Mordecai. He wished Mordecai dead. Sometimes we can even glorify God, but the heart is in the wrong place. So today I'd like to challenge you to consider this as your big rock. And therefore, we read from Matthew 22, which refers to Deuteronomy 6, and we sang about it. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love your neighbor even as you would yourself. And if you do that, you fulfill all the laws and prophets. I would like to ask you to consider that as your big rock. What would be the most loving thing you can do for your neighbor but to share the best gift you can have for them, the Great Commission? What would be the most loving thing you can do for God but to magnify Him? But what is in here is love for God. Your big rock, folks. Your big rock. It's written in 1 Corinthians 13 at the end where it says, and where there's faith, hope, and love, the greatest 
The greatest is love. Why is that? What is faith? Faith is believing in something you cannot see, but when we are before God, we see Him. It's not a far stretch for us to believe in Him because we see Him. Hope is believing and hoping for something that is to come. And when we are before God, what we hope for is before us. But love, love will always be there. Love is everlasting. Love is God personified. We are to love God with all our heart. What drives us? With all our soul, the word soul is the word suke, from where we get the word suke logi, psychology. In psychology, we say we're studying the man's soul, his inner being, who he is when nobody's looking. Love God, even when no one is looking. With all your heart, what drives you? With who you are, your inner man, who you are when no one's looking. Love God with all your mind, your thoughts, your considerations. Love God with all your strength, your hands, your feet. There is a chance that some of you here have a background in engineering, architecture, surveying, construction, drafting. You may have children who are studying that. I'd like to give an open invitation. If you like to love God and others through in that manner, this time, I do not have a table because I figure I'm in here. I can't man a table out there. So outside in the foyer right here, I've left my little card with our um, website. Come surf with us. Send your young people who are in school studying. Let them intern with us. Every year, we have three groups of interns. Our fall intern term, our spring, and our summer. They spend about 15 to 16 weeks with us. Each group is about 50 young people that come with us. We disciple them, we pray with them, we mentor them, and then we send them overseas to do a project. And by the way, when they come back and they finish the internship, they're a whole lot more marketable because employers will say, any experience? And they say, no. But our people, our young people say, I helped build phase four, this wing of a hospital, that bridge, in Paraguay, in Uganda, overseas in, uh, experience. Send them to us. We'll look after them for you. It has been a privilege for me to be part of Grace Community Church for so many years. You have been the prayers under my wings for so many years. I thank you for that. Thank you.